Do you believe that God wants you healthy? Then join me, Cersei Blue and Gigi Carter on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast, where we help you realize the relationship between your health and your purpose. We share how eating like Daniel can revolutionize your life. Through discussions and interviews, we challenge you to discover the powerful connection between plant-based nutrition, your body, and your faith. It's time. Hey everyone, welcome to episode three of Healthy For My Purpose. I am so excited about this episode that we have for you today. We actually did this interview in our private Facebook group, Daniel Fass, A Bridge to Healthy Living. So if you have not yet joined that group, I would suggest that you follow the link in the description notes and join the group. We have so much fun in that group. We do challenges. It's educational. Um, It's a real support to really take charge of your health. And you'll meet a wonderful bunch of ladies who are on the same path with their journey. Um, And so, yes, so go ahead and um, sign up for that group on Facebook. The link is in the show notes. But today we are talking with Dr. Neil Bernard. He is the president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and he is a trailblazer in the world of plant-based nutrition. And so this episode is a must-listen, guys. We talk all about getting your body in balance. And so we are talking about hormones and hot flashes and um, diabetes and getting your weight under control and you name it, everything to just get your body into balance. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. This is Dr. Neil Bernard. Hey, everybody. Um, Welcome, welcome. We're so, so super excited to have Dr. Neil Bernard with us. Um, Before I turn it over to Cersei to introduce him, um, I just want to mention that this is part of our Healthy Habits series. Um, We do this quarterly. And um, as we're um, going through this live interview, if you have any questions, please post them in the chat box or um, on the Facebook group page, and we will do our best to add them to the list of questions that we have. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Cersei, and she's going to introduce Dr. Bernard. Okay. Well, everyone, Dr. Neil Bernard is the adjunct associate professor of medicine at George Washington University School of Medicine in Washington, D.C. He is also the president of the Physician Committee for Responsible Medicine. Dr. Neil Bernard has authored over 100 scientific publications and over 20 books, with his latest being Your Body in Balance. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the amazing trailblazer, Dr. Neil Bernard. Well, thank you. It's super to be with you today. Yes, it's wonderful to have you. Okay, so we're going to kick off our first question for you. which is, Cersei, do you want to, do you have that one handy or do sure, you? Sure, I do. Okay. Um, so Dr. Neil Bernard, you know, the, the book is amazing, by the way, Your Body and Balance. But the first Thank question you. is, how does being in your normal weight um, affect your overall hormone health, including type 2 diabetes, um, you know, other cancers, and just, just the whole thing in general? 
Yeah, uh, we tend to think of body weight as something that might be sort of innocuous. It doesn't really do much that, that maybe a fat cell is just a collection of, of calories just sitting there. But that actually our fat cells are, are active factories and they're making some things all day long, sometimes things that aren't very helpful for us. Um, and among the things that our fat cells make is they make excess estrogens. Um, it's a funny thing to think, but let's say I've got a little extra body fat on my abdomen or on my thigh or whatever. Uh, estrogens come out of these fat cells and they affect our bodies in a great many ways. In a man's body, those estrogens, those female sex hormones can cause a little bit of breast enhancement. So uh, he's maybe a little overweight and it's an August afternoon and he takes off his shirt and you can see he's got some breast enhancement there. And that's um, largely the, the result of the estrogens that came out of his own body fat. And it can also affect women in a variety of ways, including increased risk of breast cancer and all kinds of other hormonal conditions. That's the bad news. The good news is that we can turn all this around by changing what we eat to a, a surprising degree. Um, the other thing regarding diabetes, the old idea of diabetes uh, was that you would get it from eating sugar or from eating bread or other starches that turn to sugar. And that's not exactly accurate. The big surprise is that fat in the foods that we eat gets into our cells, gets into our muscle cells. For example, fat in the foods gets into our liver cells. And when it does, the fat particles that build up in the cells keep sugar outside. So the sugar is building up in your blood. It can't get into the cells anymore because they're filled with fat. Um, on a molecular level, what's happening is the the fat particles are making insulin not work anymore. But what, what you can detect is you go to the doctor and the doctor says, your blood sugar is really high. I, what's this all about? And, and eventually you're diagnosed with diabetes. And so people got the idea, well, I guess I ate sugar that put sugar in my blood. Not really the issue. The issue is that sugar should be able to go from the blood into your cells. It can't because your cells are filled with fat. Um, and that's the bad news. The good news here is that that can change too and can change very, very rapidly. So, so eating a keto diet probably isn't a good idea for someone who's at risk, uh, who has prediabetes or um, type two diabetes. I would not recommend it. Um, the ketogenic diet is, is a diet that's based on this idea of, well, you shouldn't eat any carbohydrate. And there's a couple of things wrong with that. One is that what's left when you take out the fruits and the starchy vegetables, what's often left is meat or cheese or other foods that increase your risk of heart problems. And when people have diabetes, what's ultimately gonna kill most of them is a heart problem. It's cardiovascular disease. So you don't wanna be having a high fat, high cholesterol diets because it's just ask, asking for trouble. Um, and the other thing is that the, by following keto, ketogenic diets, people often leave out the healthy foods, I'm talking about fruits and starchy vegetables and things that, that our great, great grandparents knew about, but um, we've kind of forgotten about nowadays. And if we, bring, if we bring these humble foods back in, we'll be a lot healthier. I, I know a lot of times when we're trying to lose weight, you talk a lot about, about how to gauge that in terms of BMI and how to figure out what's my healthy zone. Because I know as you're losing, you're trying to figure out, okay, where do I settle? Where do I kind of curve off? So could you just talk a little bit about how someone finds that healthy space? Yeah, I think what's right, the, the weight that's right is the weight that's right for you. Mm -hmm. um, 
And the body mass index, it's, it's a good idea. It's not super exact, but it's a good idea. And the reason people came up with the body mass index is, um, let's say a weight of 170. Is that a good weight or a bad weight? Well, it kind of depends on how tall I am. Let's say I'm four foot 10, that's pretty heavy. But if I'm six foot five, I'm kind of light. So the body mass index, which you can calculate, just go online, type in BMI calculator, and it'll say, how tall are you? What's your weight? And if you're between 18 and a half and 25, that's the general area where we say, okay, your weight is enough that we're not going to call you emaciated and underweight, but it's not so high that it's likely to contribute to diabetes, uh, weight-related cancers, and that kind of stuff. Um, however, the body mass index has been correctly criticized because it can't tell body fat from muscle, from just why do I weigh more? It, it cannot differentiate that at all. So it's not exact. Um, but most people will know pretty well um, if their weight is more than they want it to be or, or less than they want it to be. And if a person wants to lose weight, we want to lose weight in ways that are gentle on our body, but also really effective over the long run. What can women do to reduce their symptoms of menopause? We can take a lesson from what researchers have found. It's really been very fascinating. Um, back in the 1980s, a researcher named Margaret Locke, who was at McGill University in Canada, went to Japan. And she interviewed more than a thousand women in three different areas of Japan. And she discovered that unlike North American women for whom hot flashes occur maybe 80% of women, something like that. In Japan, they were really rare. They didn't, didn't even have a word for them. Um, and then as the years went by and Japan's diet started to look more and more like an American diet. In other words, they, they, they used to be eating lots of rice, a lot of vegetables, very little meat, some fish, but not much meat overall. And I got to tell you, Japan was not the big ice cream consumer. Dairy products were just not their thing at all um, until McDonald's came in and Wendy's and Burger King. And they brought meat and, and um, milkshakes and all kinds of stuff into the Japanese diet. And as the diet westernized, breast cancer rates doubled, diabetes went way up, heart disease went way up, and menopausal symptoms hmm. were about twice as common around the year 2000 that they had been 20 years earlier. And so what we think is going on is that the, our diet is changing our hormones. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is that in the Japanese diet, they eat a lot of soy products. So we think, well, maybe soy can be helpful too. Um, if you look at not just Japan, but you can look at other countries, you can look at rural Africa, you can go to Mexico and look in the Yucatan Peninsula. And, and, and in the Yucatan Peninsula, I'm saying outside of Cancun, um, go in the rural areas, the dietary staples are black beans. Mm -hmm. and certain green vegetables and corn products, um, which have kind of been more and more forgotten. And we've seen this in rural Africa where some wonderful traditional foods, root vegetables and pulses of many kinds have uh, maybe fallen out of favor in our hamburger eating world as, um, as our uh, practices change, unfortunately. Um, and so uh, our team has been investigating a return to a more plant-based diet. And a study that we've been doing now is something that anybody could do at home. And it's three steps. And this, this will sound a little bit dramatic, but if, you're, if hot flashes are driving you crazy, and if eight times a day you're just fanning yourself, and four times at night you're throwing the covers off and you're drenched with sweat and you can't get a good night's sleep, try this for two or three months. And try this exact. 
no animal products at all. I'm going to make you a vegan. So your breakfast is not going to be bacon and eggs. It'll be a bowl of oatmeal or almond milk on your cornflakes or whatever the heck it is. Um, so no animal products at all. Secondly, keep oils really low. So we're going to cook with a nonstick pan or we're going to steam things. We're not going to use a lot of grease in cooking things. Number three, get a pressure cooker and cook up soybeans and eat about a half a cup a day. And you eat them like pine nuts on a salad. And they're, they're actually very tasty. So no animal products, oils low, about a half a cup of cooked soybeans every day and just see what happens. Mm. And for a lot of women, they suddenly discover my hot flashes are less frequent. They are less intense. In fact, I, was, I, was that a hot flash or was I just a little warm? And you discover that you're finally getting a decent night's sleep. Um, everybody gets their own effect. And we're still in the process of studying this. But we've been talking with many women who have put this to, to work. And the beauty of it is, instead of going to the doctor, and if a woman goes to the doctor with hot flashes, the conversation does not go well. It's as follows. The doctor says, I got just the thing you need. It's called Premarin. And the woman says, what is that? And the doctor says, well, it comes from horse urine. You impregnate the horse and then you take her urine. And if you concentrate it down, there's estrogen in there. And that's what your body's not making anymore. And that'll knock out your hot flashes. And it's true. If you take it, your hot flashes will, will diminish greatly. Mm -hmm. After a couple of years, the doctor says, you're not still taking that Premarin, are you? And you say, well, you gave it to me. And yeah, I've been taking it ever since. And the doctor says, you can't do that. Why not? You told me I could. You can't do that because it's going to increase your risk of breast cancer. You have to stop it now. Oh. And the same conversation goes on in every clinic in America and much of the rest of the world where people do realize that if you give women extra estrogens, it'll knock out their hot flashes but then you have to stop it so they don't get breast cancer. And as soon as you stop it, for a great many women, the problem starts again. So it's not a great solution. So the dietary solution is extremely gentle, very effective for many people, and all the side effects are good ones. Soy reduces cancer risk about 30%. Your risk of heart disease goes down. People lose weight on this approach in a really great way. And, and don't get me wrong, you're gonna learn some new tricks. You're going to find new ways of ordering food at your favorite Italian restaurant or whatever. Um, you are going to learn some new things. But everything you're learning is just really cool. Um, people really enjoy this way of thinking about food. And frankly, their, their families benefit too. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So, so for those of you guys listening, that's pretty much doing the Daniel Fast for three months, right? <laughs> so, that, exactly. so that works out. You got to just extend it times three. So um, the next question, Dr. Bernard, is um, do you know why black women are more susceptible to fibroids? Does it have anything to do with diet, exercise, and how does soy play into fibroids? Okay, what a great question. Um, first of all, for people who are wondering what we're talking about, a fibroid is in the uterus. The, the, the uterus expands during pregnancy and so to to be able to do that, it has a muscle layer inside it. And that muscle layer can expand and it can contract. And that muscle layer sometimes gets some overgrowing muscle cells in it. They're not cancer, but they're growing. And sometimes they grow into a pea-sized growth. And other times they become a grapefruit. And uh, for many, many women, regardless of race, uh, will have fibroids. Uh, not before menarche, not before your first period, and really not so much after 
menopause, but in that window, they're really, really common, and they are more common in black women. Um, when this first became known, I found myself thinking, there are a lot of things that are more common in the United States, but not like colorectal cancer, for example, very common in black women and black men. But if, it's, if you're a black man or black woman living in rural Africa, not so common. Um, why? Because bacon and sausage are not being promoted to you there as they might be here in the United States. Um, so in other words, our, our natural healthy traditions might not apply so much here. With fibroids, I'm not so sure that is the case because you do see them. Uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, you'll see a lot of fibroids. Um, so what's it about? Um, they're, they are driven by estrogens. The more estrogens, which is why they don't happen before menarche, and, it, and it's why they start settling down after menopause. Um, things that cause more estrogen to form in your body will, will do it. Um, so dairy products, part of the problem. Uh, excess body weight, also part of the problem. Uh, high fiber diets, part of the solution. Um, the Daniel diet, you know, getting away from animal products toward plant products, just what you want. Um, there's also some suggestion that vitamin D might help. Um, vitamin D is the sun on your skin. Um, and some people have speculated that if you have more pigmentation, it's keeping out the helpful sunlight. And so your body is just not making as much vitamin D. Um, we don't know if that's really the case, but it's easy to get tested for your vitamin D level and it's easy to supplement vitamin D. Most doctors would say about 2000 IUs a day. Um, I would encourage anybody where fibroids are in the family or if you got them now, to follow a healthy plant-based diet. And frankly, the same diet I was just describing for blood I do that for, for fibroids. The only thing is, the only thing is hot flashes sometimes go away in two weeks. Fibroids are not going to. They're gonna take their time. Um, because I hate to say you gotta, it's like having a golf ball sitting in your body and it will, when, when the estrogen is no longer so intense, it will diminish, but it can take time. And so, uh, women will be talking with their doctors. Can I live with this? Or do you want to? Now, there are procedures for removing them. Most women don't need them removed, uh, but that can happen. So that's kind of where we are. Um, with regard to soy, we're not 100% sure what the role is for soy, but soy is um, back 90 years ago when people started investigating soy, they thought soy was a problem. Soy attaches to estrogen receptors. It's going to do all kinds of mischief. We then learned that there are alpha receptors which is like the gas pedal. There are beta receptors, just like the brake. And soy isoflavones attach mostly to the beta receptor. So we think they're helpful to us, generally speaking. So I would suspect that soy is gonna be helpful for fibroids, but to my knowledge, it has not really been tested effectively. Okay. All right, I'm gonna, um, there was a question that someone asked um, Shalanda, she said that she's noticed that quite a few people that she knows has been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes um, since the pandemic and um, was wondering if you've noticed a spike in patients being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes um, in, in your practice, in your clinic. Yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing two things. Um, the, the first is people are confined at home. The home has got the refrigerator in it. Um, your average person is gaining a little bit of weight with, with this and weight gain is not your friend when it comes to type two diabetes. Um, secondly, uh, 
you're not exercising so much as you normally would. And exercising muscles really tear up the glucose and they get it out of your body. And that's not happening when you're confined to this room. The other thing that we've been seeing over the last couple of months is people who have had COVID for some reason are more likely to get diabetes. And that has been a complete surprise. So it's sort of a two-way street. Diabetes makes you more vulnerable to COVID. COVID makes you more vulnerable to getting diabetes. What we think is happening is that the COVID is probably increasing insulin resistance. And it's also increasing the damage to the, the beta cells of the pancreas that make insulin. So we, we think that could be part of the issue too. Okay, because COVID's affecting kind of the microvascular, like the blood at a blood vessel level, kind of creating some long-term damage. Is that the link you're, you're referring to? Yes, and, and also it, it, it may well be that, that COVID is, is just affecting cellular metabolism itself, mm. um, which has been really a, 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 quite a surprise. Wow, wow, okay. All right, I've got another question here. Um, Shalanda also wanted to know, so soybeans and oatmeal are good, what other foods? Oh my goodness, there's a, an abundance of foods. <laughs> yeah, no, I gotta tell you, my heart goes out to you. When, when, I, when I, I was a kid, I grew up in Fargo, you know, Fargo, North Dakota. You know, it's, it's, it's not exactly vegan central. And um, I started to learn about what, a, what this diet, what a, a plant-based diet will do. And I kind of had to start from scratch myself to think what am yeah. I gonna But I wanna tell you, I've been doing this a long time. And I have now discovered that the foods on a plant-based diet are, if anything, much more abundant than the yeah. food that I grew up with as a kid. Because when I was a kid, my mom would put on the table, hunk of meat, potato, and a little bit of sort of obligatory vegetables, that was it. You know, yeah. night after night, after night, after night, after night. Yeah. But now, now I, and, you know, I mean, I love my mom, but you know, what can I say? Um, now I live in Washington, DC. I go out of my office and there is a Chinese restaurant where they got at least 30 different dishes with rice dishes, tofu dishes, vegetable dishes. Next to it, there's an Italian place where they've got uh, pasta with an arrabbiata sauce, a marinara sauce, this is all vegan. They don't call it that, but it happens yeah, to be. Yeah. Then there's a Mexican place. And the Mexican place will make a bean burrito, a veggie fajita, beans and rice, whatever you want. There's a sushi bar over that way, which has fish sushi, but they also have the cucumber roll, the asparagus roll, the sweet potato roll. And all countries have had their economic ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And when you're on the economic downs, you really wanna have staples that are cheap, that come from nature, like mm -hmm. beans. <laughs> and like right. grains and like vegetables. So every tradition has them. And it, it, wherever you're from, whichever continent you, you're from or whatever, wherever part of the world, those staples are there. Now they get forgotten. As soon as we've got the ability to have a steak um, and so forth, we, we forget all of those healthy staples. But when we decide my coronary arteries are kind of better off eating a little, a little lower down on the food chain, um, we discover that there are wonderful, wonderful foods available for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another question about, um, well, more of a comment um, about soy products being organic versus in non-GMO. Um, do you want to comment on that, sure. Dr. Bernard? Yeah, um, when I go home to Fargo, get off the plane, and you start driving along, as far as the eye can see is soybeans. Mm -hmm. And every plant is identical, uh, genetically modified, and no human being is going to eat one bean from that because that's cattle feed and chicken feed and pork, uh, pig feed. And so if you're eating meat, you are eating 
an animal that ate GMO soy and GMO corn all day long. Yeah. Now you are hopefully not gonna eat that. When you go to the store and you buy some soy milk or some tofu, it has the word organic on it. And by law, it cannot be GMO. Mm-hmm. And it'll say right on the label, it is not GMO. Um, so no, you, you don't have to worry about that. And um, soy is optional, but it soy will cut the risk of breast cancer about 30%. Mm-hmm. And for women previously diagnosed with breast cancer, previously treated, it reduces mortality by 25 or 30% too. And for men, the risk of prostate cancer is cut by about a similar amount. So if you have a, a choice between a meat burger that's going to increase cancer rate risk and a soy burger that's going to reduce it, there's really no question at all. Yeah, yeah. All right, I've got another question here um, from Erica. <clears throat> she asks, how do we deal with our primary care doctors um, who just wanna give out drugs instead of counseling about nutrition options? Seems like we are on our own with our health, nutrition and so forth. Yeah, um, it has been that way and I feel your frustration. Um, luckily it's changing a lot. I, we have a clinic here called Barnard Medical Center which does a lot of telemedicine now. And so we're talking to people all over the country. And we're discovering there are more and more practitioners who have awakened to this. And part of it is because we've been talking for a long, long time that we want to take advantage of what foods will do for us. Uh, Now, it's true. There are doctors who will say, my patients are lazy. They'd rather just pop a pill. I wanna tell you something. That is a lie. (laughs) There There is not a patient walking into any doctor's office anywhere who wouldn't gladly take that whole sack of pills and throw it in the trash if if the patient really believed that with some diet changes, they could actually maybe get off their diabetes medications or their cholesterol pills or whatever it is. And doctors can help patients to do that. But it means that the doctor has to know two things. The doctor has to know how to guide you into a healthy diet, or at least has to have a dietitian on staff who will do that. The doctor also has to know something really important and that's how to take you off your medicine because it's the most amazing thing. I'll have a person come in here. They've had type two diabetes for 12 years. They're on metformin. They're on another oral drug and they're on insulin and they're injecting 20 units of Lantus every night. They come in here and I say, would you like to make some diet changes? Yeah, I guess so. And I explain to them how fat in your muscle cells is causing the diabetes to get worse and I'm gonna give you a diet that doesn't have much of any fat in it, and we're gonna see if this turns around. Um, They are gonna call me, because I gave them my home phone number. They're gonna call me back 10 days later. They're gonna say, Dr. Brennan, I woke up this morning, and I'm shaking, and I'm sweating, and what's wrong with me? And I say, wait a minute, I'm gonna hold on the line, I want you to check your blood sugar right now. Mm -hmm. And they do, and they're at 55, they're hypoglycemic. They said, Doc, I didn't believe you, I didn't believe this diet was really gonna bring my blood sugar down. And it does. And so your job as a doctor is not just to give them a healthy diet. You also have to be able to take away the medications that they no longer need because those medications are now too strong for them. Um, and you've got to keep ahead of that. So you've got to keep in touch with your patients. You've got to work together. And patients don't believe it's possible. They, they, they think it's a one-way street. I'll always have diabetes. I'll never get off these meds. And many doctors, unfortunately, don't yet understand that not only is it possible, It's predictable. Um, Patients who come here to our clinic on insulin are gonna need less insulin, I guarantee you. And in many cases, they're just gonna get off it. And in some cases, you're never gonna know they even had diabetes. And doctors have to learn that reality because otherwise, um, 
you know, you're just not giving the patient what they really want, which is to be free of disease. One other thing, forgive me for getting on my soapbox here. No, please do. <laughs> if, if I give a patient a metformin prescription, I say you've been diagnosed with diabetes and the patient starts, he bites his lip because he thinks my father died of diabetes mm -hmm. and my aunt lost her vision from diabetes and now I got it. And I say, don't worry, you know, we've got medicine for you. That metformin will bring down his blood sugar a little bit, but it's not going to do anything for anyone else. If I say to him, let's look at the dietary habits that cause this to happen, because I'll bet you if we make a change and we're going to work together on this, I'm your coach now, I think that we can improve this and maybe we can make it go away. You know what's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to go home, he's going to talk to his family. And they're not taking his metformin, but they're going to all start eating. The, 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 they're going to talk about this. They're going to begin this discussion. Now, there's a lot of questions. There are going to be some disagreements and so forth. But what you're going to see is a family getting healthier. Mm -hmm. And instead of thinking diabetes was in my DNA, uh -uh, it was in your dinner. It was in the it was in the recipes that we learned from our parents, you know. So 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 the good news is is you're you're not just helping one person. You're helping that person's reluctant spouse. You're helping that person's kids, um, and you're giving people power they never had before. Yeah, yeah, and you know we do in, in our Daniel fast. We do recommend that you work with your healthcare provider if you are on diabetes medication or uh, high blood pressure medication. I think is another one. Absolutely. Um, make sure that you're working with your physician before you, you know, kind of go deep into this um, to make sure your medication can be adjusted. But what about the physician um, who really has no clue? Because I, I mean, we, you, you know you know very well that, you know, physicians aren't necessarily trained in nutrition and the role of nutrition in preventing chronic diseases. Is there um, an organization or a database of physicians that people can, you know, connect with to find out, you know, what, which healthcare providers can I go to, to, you know, receive help on how to go about this? Yes, let me mention a bunch of resources. All of this is the reason I started the Physicians Committee back in 1985, was to bring this into medicine. And so if you go to pcrm.org, that's Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, pcrm.org, you'll see a find a doctor feature there where doctors have signed up to, to be listed. Um, our, our own, we have a nonprofit clinic called Barnard Medical, uh, and you can go to barnardmedical.org and there are doctors who will see you on telemedicine and the dietitians will too. Um, and so we set that up a long time ago to help people. Um, and for any physician who thinks, I wanna learn more, I want this to be part of my practice, good on you, it's a great thing to do. Um, at our website, you will see free nutrition continuing medical education. The very same medical education you need to renew your, your medical license every two years, we've got it. It's approved by the AMA. It's part of our partnership with George Washington University. It's all nutrition all the time. And you are going to be the smartest doc on the block. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dr. Bernard, I know our time is up. And thank you so much for uh, joining us. Everyone watching, please pick up a copy of this book. Here it is. Um, Your Body in Balance. It's awesome. Um, amazing. And uh, Cersei, do you want to close out? No. Uh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Neil Bernard, for having us. And the Physicians Committee of Responsible Medicine is an amazing organization that is changing and affecting so much lives. So we thank you for all the work that you're doing and you're continuing to do for making people healthier.
Thank you for everything you do to educate and to inspire you. You'll never know how many lives you save, but I guarantee you it's lots and lots and lots. So I owe you a huge debt of gratitude. Thanks for all that you do. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Healthy for My Purpose podcast. We hope you enjoyed the community and are walking away empowered and encouraged to live your healthiest life for your God-ordained purpose. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram to enjoy fellowship with like-minded women. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. Until we meet again, keep honoring your body for your purpose.